0: This is Rocks to Roots, a podcast presented by the Spokane Conservation District. This podcast series is intended to share education and resources related to land management, conservation practices, and celebrate some of the great stewards of our land here in our region. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Rocks to Roots podcast. Great show. I'm really excited to have everybody listen to it. And this is really our foodie portion of what we would um, typically have at the Farm and Food Expo. Mm. So um, we have a great lineup for this month. We are releasing our final three episodes and closing up season one of the Rocks to Roots podcast. And then we'll be back next year to rock and roll again.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. This was so today we had on Brian Estes. Did I say his last name
0: right? Estes. Estes. Thank I you. I think it's
1: Estes. Estes. It's, that's what it is. Uh, with Link Foods. And yeah, it was um, I mean, I learned a lot about Link Foods. We he jam packed full of information about that. But the biggest thing I took away was their Link Box. And it's $26 for a box of locally grown produce. And then you can add on stuff like cheese, proteins. Mm-hmm. And and I, I was just like, I have to go sign up for that today.
0: Well, and I can tell you that I went to the grocery store twice last week. And each time I spent at least $25. Mm. So to yeah. have all of my groceries just there in one and it's cheaper, it's, it's just a no-brainer. Mm. And then just all of the other... Things that Link is involved in with the school programs and wholesale market, restaurants. I mean, they're doing a really great thing for our local food economy. So um, this is a great episode. I'm really excited for our listeners to uh, take a listen to it. Let's go ahead and Brian Estes with Link Foods thanks for listening to this episode of Rocks to Roots. Today, we have the pleasure of talking with Brian Estes of Link Foods. He is the partnership director there. So thank you for being here, Brian.
2: Thanks. Great to be here.
0: Thanks. We are really excited to have you. We've had um, a couple of guests on our season so far that have just talked about Link Foods and the incredible amount of work that you guys do for our local food um, economy. So I'm just ready to dive in and learn even more. So can you tell us about Link Foods and just kind of its emergence into our community?
2: Yeah, of course. So Link stands for Local Inland Northwest Cooperative. And we're a farmer and worker-owned cooperative based here in Spokane that was founded in 2014, initially with the very focused purpose of helping our region's small farms connect to larger wholesale customers, but where we have a broader mission on the whole of looking at where there are market opportunities for producers that are based here in the Inland Northwest that they wouldn't otherwise be able to access directly and creating enterprises that connect those growers to, um, to those markets. So like I said, the initial enterprise was born out of a conversation primarily with Gonzaga University and then also some discussions that were happening with several of the uh, public school districts in town where they said, we see all the great work that's being done at farmers markets. We see local farms being featured on the menus of farm-to-table restaurants we would really like to know our local in the northwest farmers as well but we serve 20,000 meals a day or we've got you know all this uh, formal loading dock procedure or food safety requirements that we recognize that we need some sort of middle person to be able to connect us to all the great uh, food that's being grown grown here in the region while maintaining the identity of the farmer behind those products so a group of growers and food entrepreneurs put their heads together and said well If those folks are looking to buy a whole bunch of food but they're saying they need a middle person, why don't we be our own middleman so we can make sure that we're maintaining the value of that effort for the farm, that we're keeping it really local, keeping it really connected? So that was what launched Link as a, as a cooperative effort to, again, create a new uh, market opportunity for producers that are based here in the region that they wouldn't, any one grower might really struggle to access by themselves.
0: And so, like, the co founders mm-hmm. are farmers themselves. Yeah. So yeah, that's really so, important.
2: And that's um, even the folks who were involved early on, um, Joel Williamson and Beth Robinette in particular. I think they were approaching the opportunity of Link as much from kind of a entrepreneurial mindset as from their, their own agricultural backgrounds. But they both come from agricultural families. Joel's family um, ran a, a florist's uh, enterprise on kind of the backside of South Hill for decades. And Beth and her family operate Lazy Air Ranch out, out of Cheney. The rest of the kind of the initial cohort were all the the growers who were saying, you know, we hear the dining services at Gonzaga really want to buy my tomatoes. I'm willing to be part of that kind of initial brain trust to figure out what is the model and what is the business that we need to build so my farm enterprise can realize those those connections. Yeah.
0: So that's quite a task to be given. I mean, given that you just said 20,000 meals with Gonzaga University. And so how many employees work at Link Foods right now?
2: Yeah. So we are, there are nine, actually, I think 10 of us now. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. And that number has grown by, you know, a person or two each year over the last few years. Um, I started with Link. I've been at Link for four years in January, so J- January 2017, and I was the like the second real hi- like external hire. There were the three employees that had kind of helped found the company and were providing that staffing capacity from the get go. And uh, just a few months prior to me, the first the first quote unquote real employee had been <laughs> brought on. Uh, <laughs> and And I joined shortly thereafter, so so that you know at that point we were five and and over the last few years have have doubled in size so yeah and then and then, on the farmer side, we've got right around fifty farmer uh, member owners, and then I would say in a given year there's probably another fifteen to twenty growers who aren't aren't formal owners of the co-op but who do some sort of kind of seasonal business with us or where there's a specific opportunity that we move their products. So so in a given year, we're going to work with yeah, 50 to 70 growers and, and the majority of whom um, have an ownership stake in the co-op. Similar to that employee cohort, after a first kind of probationary year, all employees are given the opportunity to take an ownership stake as well. So um, hmm. between those, those kind of two classifications, we each own half of the company and that was something that, again, was really about that idea of, well, if we're going to create a middleman or we're going to uh, choose as a group of growers to spend a bunch of money on some equipment or a facility, we want all of the ownership and value that's created by that to return to the folks that are um, you know, b- behind the fact that this can be possible at all. So, so that's kind of where that ownership strategy comes from.
0: That's really cool. Um, And I definitely want to talk more about the benefits of, um, you know, being a producer and joining forces with Link Foods um, just a little bit later on. But I'm really curious to what your background is in agriculture and how you got involved with Link and what your current role is. Yeah,
2: yeah, for sure. (laughs) So my connection to agriculture is one that took me some time to really understand and appreciate. But my family on my mom's side has been in Washington state since the mid 1880s and homesteaded and farmed in the Walla Walla Valley. Um, and if you, if you know Walla Walla, uh, my family's farmed just about, it's gotta be about 15 miles, uh, west of, of Walla Walla proper. Um, so out, out in the Valley, um, during that time period. And, so that was something that I grew up spending a lot of time on my grandparents' place. And uh, they grew wheat and peas and garbanzos and all of that up. Uh, they actually farmed uh, leased property up above town in the Blue Mountains. So if you you know go out okay. to the Palouse and think about driving a combine on those hillsides, if you take them and you tip them a little bit further, <laughs> straight up and down, that was uh, that was what my, my grandpa uh, farmed on when I was little. Uh, I just
0: did that a couple of weeks ago, and it was kind of scary. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ten minutes, I was like, <laughs> "Whoa, else. what are we doing here?"
2: <laughs> That's something but else fun. for sure. But so that for me, growing up. There wasn't the clear connection in my, in my mind, and I, and I think kind of in the in the reality at the time, especially to say there's a real clear thread of a, uh, a multi generational uh, possibility to you know think about farming as something more than what my grandparents did, and and um, I think especially now that I get to do work where we're working so hard to reconnect people to the farmers behind their food, I think about. What my my grandparents' experience must have been like, trying to you know think about the the future of the what they'd invested their lives in, and, and that not being as clear as maybe as it could. And um, we actually get to do business with uh, the farm that leases some of the property that my my family homesteaded all all, oh, all the way back awesome. then. Oh, that's awesome! such a neat neat Full thing. Full circle, kind of. But I was, It wasn't cool. until I was, um, I think, really even in college that the idea of agriculture as a critical economic activity, as something that was critical to the connections in our community, critical to um, you know quality of life and quality of health didn't fully occur to me. But coming out of college, I knew I wanted to do something really applied and hands-on um, and had the opportunity to do some urban farming work uh, through a nonprofit here in Spokane, actually. I left Spokane for a minute, but found my way back in my mid-twenties ran a a small farm enterprise kind of in the years preceding when Link uh, was getting started where that farm-to-table scene was sort of starting to take off. So I grew specialty produce, primarily greens and herbs and those sorts of things for sale to restaurants. So I was familiar with Both the opportunities and the challenges facing growers who were wanting to do that, connecting to customers in the Inland Northwest and recognizing there were some things where folks were really well positioned, but then all these other places, foods being served, that there wasn't that obvious connection or or way to get your foot in the door if you're saying, you know, I want to grow food right on the edge of urban Spokane where there is all this magnificent farmland, but maybe it's at a scale where you've kind of got to be small to make it work, that plugging into those larger institutional customers wasn't something that I could have done on my own. So left Spokane or more or less left Spokane for a couple of years while my wife was doing her graduate work over on the west side and, and came back and was looking for a new opportunity. And Link was, I think, just about, must have been about two years old, give or take at that point, two and a half years old. And started off driving one of our delivery trucks and and uh got a real like deep immersion on what the nature of the work looks like and at this point i guess i've gotten to grow up in my role with link alongside the way the co-op has has evolved so i i um, alluded to earlier that we started with that initial distribution enterprise but have really looked to say where are the places where there's maybe demand for source identifiable locally grown product but not the possibility of connection for an individual grower. And the other thing that emerged was we had a few grain growers who were used to selling into big commodity markets and and export and saying, once my wheat leaves the farm and goes down to the elevator it becomes completely anonymous to say i might want to do something that's a little more specialized and who'd come on board maybe because they were milling their own flour or doing a specialty variety of lentils or garbanzos that were good for culinary use who had heard about link because of that food distribution enterprise but said you know i've got some acreage here if i if i'm gonna make this a meaningful uh shift i really need to move move some some grain and so we looked around and said Where in the region are there similar values and interests and opportunity akin to what's driving that kind of farm-to-table reality for produce and dairy and and animal protein, but where grain would be the the agricultural input? And looked at our region's really just remarkably robust brewing and distilling industries who are so committed to quality, innovation, unique ingredients, uh, connection to their communities, uh, an emphasis on storytelling, and said, looked at that and saw... That barley is something that is a you know besides the water in beer or spirits, it, it is the uh, the ingredient by volume, and the conventional supply chain is completely anonymous and really set up over decades and decades to be as predictable and, and almost boring as possible. And we said, maybe we could turn that upside down as we see what how much brewers care about hops and how aware they are that the Yakima Valley is a world-class growing hop region. And we've got a world-class growing grain region right in our backyard. What if we turn that equation on its head a little bit? And the, and the barrier for a grain grower saying, well, I want to sell my barley to a brewer is that it has to be malted. It has to go through the process and the transformation that functionally makes it ready for uh, fermentation to happen, where a raw grain, you could eventually ferment it, but uh, the malting process converts all of the sugars uh, such that they're ready for a brewer or distiller to work with to, to, to make alcohol. So. Link decided that it wanted to support its grain growers uh, with something like that in mind and saw a really good enterprise opportunity to support the co-op on the whole and recognize that that equipment is very expensive that's needed for the malting process, and the skill set is very specialized so we said, well, here's another thing we could do on behalf of our member growers that would open up that new market so So we've been malting for a little over four years now, um, and we do all that at our warehouse out here in Spokane Valley. And um, I, about halfway through my my time at Link, have have shifted over to, to focus primarily on that. And I do all of our account management and partnerships there, so work with all of our brewer and distiller customers, do a lot of work with our grain growers as we're exploring what how a different variety of barley maybe tastes different from a, from the other variety or what folks are, are used to working with and what sort of opportunities that may present to, to do something really unique with the the agricultural product that's behind your beer or your, your glass of whiskey.
0: That's very cool. Well, I know that we are definitely beer lovers in this region for sure, and it's because of the great product that we can produce here. So are there um, some local breweries right here that are um, – with Link Mall? Yeah. Who are they?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the things that I love and and have so much gratitude for about Spokane is how community-minded and partnership-minded it is mm-hmm. and how eager people are to search out those sorts of connections such that we work with the vast majority of, of brewers uh, in town and many of whom who as soon as they heard it was a possibility even before we had a kind of proven product said we want to use as much of that stuff as possible so so that makes it a tricky question for me to answer because (laughs) i know i'll forget somebody (laughs) I, I i don't have favorites um but um I think that maybe one way to sum that up is that we were very lucky with some of the folks who jumped on board just kind of sight unseen because they got the the value at a community level. And those are brewers like Black Label Brewing downtown and Bellwether Brewing that's up on Monroe Street, kind of in kind of central Spokane. And they just yeah got on board with us right away. And then, you know, kind of one after the other, we've had these opportunities to partner with brewers. And, and it's been really neat to see. Over the last couple of years, how it feels like we're at a place now where if you're a new brewery opening up in town, one of the things you have to consider is like, oh, well, we've got to to make a beer with with Link Malt because that's part of how people operate around here. So. Mm -hmm the Love of God Brewing, which is up in Audubon Park, who Steve's brewery is probably about 15 months old now, as well as Lumberbeard Brewing, which is right downtown, right off of the Division Street exit. And then out here in the valley, uh, Chris and Jason at Yaya Brewing, who's right off of Pines. All three of them were of the first handful of beers that any of those guys produced had had link malted in and were, f- were making one of their kind of flagship or featured beers mm-hmm. with our awesome. malt. So it's really cool to see how our development and progression is kind of mirrored and followed along with um, all that's happening in in craft beer in town right now but again i think that we're we know how lucky we are with how supportive the brewing community on the whole is here i you know we've there are i think there's like 80 or so craft craft malt houses is what our a segment of the industry gets referred to as around the country. And we get together for our annual conferences and all of that. And the number of times I've had somebody who's kind of tracked what we do pull me aside and be like, how do you get all of your local brewers to work with you? It's like, we you know we've sent malt all over the place. But I still feel like I'm beating down the door of the guy that's, you know, the closest down to the street to me where I'm making my malt. Like, how, how do you have that connection? And that I don't think we can claim credit for that. I think that's just kind of the spirit of how people work in Spokane. So we, we feel really fortunate that that's another part of what's unique about where we are. Not only do we have the great grain, but we've got the community to put it to use.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's so important. And you really said it is that it creates this wave of it's what you do here. And it's, it's transferred to our breweries, but it's also transferred to our restaurants, which we'll get into a little bit later, too. Um, well, that's awesome. So Link Malt. But for those that aren't totally aware of everything that Link has to offer, um, what are some of the other things that Link offers? Yeah,
2: yeah. So I think that one of the really interesting aspects about being a, an agricultural enterprise in eastern Washington and in Washington state is so often we talk about our you know our farms and what we do by the commodity segment. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you can you know, grow grain or berries or raise dairy cattle in any corner of the state. It seems like somebody's doing it, and somebody's doing it really well. But we, we talk about those producers as a cohort based on a specific product. And, and what kind of sets Link apart is that if it can be grown in the Inland Northwest, we've got a grower or two or three or more who are doing it. The unifying characteristic is that it's a group of farmers and, and, and there's a variability in the size and scale of the, the operation too. Mm-hmm. The, the unifying attribute is that folks say, I want to be able to sell as much of my product to folks here in my community and the region. And I want to make sure that I'm um, doing it in a way where f- folks have the connection to, you know, me and my family and my, you know, the folks that work on my farm. Mm-hmm. So, we do all sorts of different specialty produce and stuff that's fresh in all seasons, so we offer fruits and vegetables twelve months of the year, you know starting with the greens and radishes and strawberries of the spring into the, you know, high harvest cucumbers and tomatoes and eggplant and all of that. Moving into now we're starting to see, you know, our early uh, storage crops or winter squash, um, but then carrying all, all the way through the winter where we've got a really, really great variety of both storage crops, but then also um, one of the fun kind of it's not not a new vegetable by any, any, any <laughs> means, but um, but new to. Of the region but where there's a cohort of growers that are putting a lot of effort into it is a, a radicchio which mm. is an, Itali- oh. an italian many of them kind of look like um like a colorful romaine lettuce or like a like a one if you can picture like a head lettuce that's got both like green and red to it they kind of look oh, like okay. that but they've got a bitter character to them and you can eat them fresh in like a like a, a spring salad mix or they can be grilled And the remarkable thing about them is they're extremely winter hardy. So you can go out even like after it's snowed and harvest them Mm. to peel back the outer layers. But just the color and the flavor and the freshness is just a remarkable thing to get. And, you know, the dead of Spokane winter, you wouldn't think that you could get something like that here. But that's what those plants are bred to do. And the real vision behind that, as I understand it, is... You know, if you go to that farm to table restaurant or you're uh, looking for local in your produce aisle, if you buy uh, your lettuce mix or your salad mix all summer long, we don't want you to have to say, well, now I guess I got to go back to the California stuff from right. October through yes. April to say, what are the crops that can fill that same place on your plate mm-hmm. um, that, that do well here? So um, that's something that we got a little bit of radicchio last winter. And now we're really kind of trying to lean into that. We've got a couple couple growers that are doing a great job of it to where they've traveled to Italy to learn from the farmers that have grown up for you know generations or whatever. So offering that full spectrum of produce. But then. The full gamut of animal protein, beef, pork, chicken. Uh, We've got a a fisher who goes up to Alaska for salmon, but that's based up in Sandpoint. So they bring their catch all back here and have it frozen over the winter. We've got some wonderful dairy, both uh, like fluid milk, but then also a number of really wonderful cheeses, yogurt, you name it there, as well as a number of the culinary use grains and legumes. Um, So really trying to offer... The full spectrum diet, all grown here in the region, and with a really great diversity across the course of the calendar year.
0: So, what areas mm-hmm. does Link serve?
2: Yeah, so we um, define our our procurement territory where our our farmers farm and where we source our food from as um, within a three hour drive or 250 mile radius of Spokane. So that takes you into the Idaho Panhandle, down into Tri-Cities and Walla Walla area, over into the Okanagan. Um, We don't cross the line into Canada, but So it gets cut (laughs) short a little bit going north. But A lot of people around here would understand to be the inland northwest. Mm -hmm. Um, So crossing state lines, but sticking within that kind of geographic or or, uh, bioregion. And then as far as where the food then goes, um, that is a little more focused uh, on on the food distribution side at this point where we're all over town here in Spokane, but we do cross over into Coeur d'Alene and Post Falls. We've got a truck that goes weekly down to the Pullman, Moscow area. Um, The malt goes a little further afield. We're moving that all over Idaho, Washington, and Oregon. But yeah, as far as the the fresh food distribution, that's really kind of the greater Spokane area and down under the Palouse.
0: That's awesome. And so... know that you touched on it a little bit and i really loved that point that you made is that like yeah sometimes consumers in the winter are just like "Eh, okay now i'm gonna go get that california lettuce and rather than eating through the season so what else really makes link different from buying from your local grocery store
2: yeah for sure and i think the um defining characteristic about what we do is that It's all being produced here in the region, Mm -hmm. and even though there may be a step or two between whether if you're working, and I'm sure we'll talk here in a bit about our Link box and kind of Mm -hmm. direct-to-consumer programs, whether you're getting it directly from Link or you're going to the restaurant or to the university dining center or whatever, that – the identity of that grower and and as much of their story and why they're farming in the first place is maintained through that and that that Mm -hmm. transparency is really important to us and that while we maintain this you know bounty of different items when we run out of that radicchio or when we run out of uh you know summer berries that's it you know so we'll come back to those next year we'll bring in the next crop but that we're not going to chase all around the globe the thing, so we can say you're always going to be able to get this item. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're using the power and number of our growers to provide that 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 bounty at the same time. Um, I think the other thing is is that you know a big goal of ours is to not be distinct from the grocery store because we want link products to be easy to find in the grocery store, and we're super fortunate to have that community mind- mindedness here in town and where there are just so many awesome, small, independently and locally run enterprises, as well as uh, Spokane-based retailers, whether it's the Huckleberries and Rose Hours uh, grocery stores. The opportunity that we see in how we work as a cooperative and where we can provide the diversity all in kind of the one-stop call to the "Quote unquote middleman" um, is something where we know we've got products of quality and value that we want to be working with. Whether it's the produce buyer at the grocery store, or we've got a number number of value added items that are on the you know the kind of main aisle shelves in, in, in grocery, and, and we see that as a um, a really critical opportunity to continue to pursue as a way to. Move a move a lot of inland northwest product and further introduce ourselves um, and our growers to you know consumers all over the community. So on the one hand, we recognize that we're offering something that is is really unique and that not every item that you're going to find in a in a retail spot or, or wherever is going to have that connection to the farmer mm-hmm. uh, that that we offer. But we want to make that the norm and we want to be part part of that process and and be working with those sorts of partners to make that more the more the reality.
0: Yeah, that connection, get to know your farmer, get to know your food is tremendously important um, just for health, nutrition, for the economy, I mean, across the board. So what are some of the standards or qualifications that you have for producers that want to give you and Link Foods their product?
2: You bet. You bet. So two of the core aspects of what Link expects of its, of its growers are one, that just really clear integrity and identifiability of you're growing here in the region, you're the one producing it. And then the other piece is that and this is a, a you know, a product of kind of the, the the reality of what we need to be doing, um and and kind of where the modern food system has taken us, but also because it's part and parcel with caring about our community members and knowing that we're selling food to people that we, we know is mm-hmm. Taking really great care with food safety standards, so we do have um, requirements and expectations around how our growers handle their product on farm, how it's coming into us, and and um, part of the process of coming on board with Link is is you know helping kind of demonstrate and, and and declare some of that. So that's something that we see again, not only is really just vital for for the integrity of what we're doing, um, we definitely also see it. That's another space where. As a co-op, we've had time to both navigate some of the regulatory realities, but also just to navigate and understand the best practices and what we should be doing, whether it's required or not, um, that we can help train up and convey those things to farms that are either super small and so have never been asked to, to worry about that, or because they're a young or a new farmer that are trying to get their bearings just to like say, how do I efficiently grow this How do I safely and healthfully grow it? So so those are kind of the two core across-the-board parameters. And then the other thing that's pretty unique and and something that even after being around for a few years is definitely a growing and evolving process is that by crop category, we actually have – we refer to them as guilds, but like committees of producers that say – Here are the parameters that if we're raising vegetables or we're raising livestock or we're raising grain that we as uh, producers uh, recognize as the sorts of growing practices that we want to be able to be uniform that we see as – either good for the animals, good for the soil, et cetera, and where we can say kind of with one voice within that product category that you know that if you're buying from any of the growers who offer that crop at Link, this is what you can expect as far as what's happening on farm or not happening on farm. Um and a big part of that has been and there was a lot of effort put into this in the kind of the early days as far as building I think building the confidence and trust of the grower cohort that We weren't going to, again, like middleman them into saying, oh, we have to do it this way to say, you're the experts. We know that you care. That's why you're involved in this in the first place. Let's sit down, put our heads together and identify those standards that are responsible, reasonable, et cetera. So that varies by kind of crop category.
0: That's great. And. Obviously, here at the Spokane Conservation District, um, a big thing for us is soil health. And I know that a lot of your producers are very soil focused about their soil stewardship, too, which is awesome. And so how important is soil health and how important is it to the our food quality?
2: Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think one of the kind of most foundational things for me about this work is that. We're in it for the long haul and we're in it because we see so many layers of value that are deeper and ultimately responsible for the economic health of the cooperative or any of our individual farms or any of the customers that we work with. And that if we're not being responsible to this landscape that we inhabit uh, and the soil being a a very uh, central part of that, then we're just not. We're not being successful, and we're not going to be successful over the long haul. And I think that one of the challenges and tension of um, being in a, a as difficult a space as agriculture and anybody running an enterprise is is recognizing the the balancing act that is doing that well. I think that we see ourselves as a group of growers and and as a as a the co-op, as an enterprise in and of itself, as being in a position to help push on that tension and mm-hmm. um, to work, you know, ultimately in relationship with our customers and the end consumers of the products, to say if we choose to mutually invest in mm-hmm. uh, soil stewardship practices and, and environmental stewardship more broadly, we'll see the returns and the, the long-term viability of what we're doing, and 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 in our ability to to caretake, um, the landscape. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, but we've got to really lean into and push on on that. And, you know, I think in the case of our vegetable growers, uh, like I was saying, we kind of buy crop category, have worked with our growers to define what sort of standards there are. And and in the case of our producers, folks aren't required to have organic certification, but they're required to have practices that are, would effectively be certifiable. Um, and we do have a, quite a number of, of certified folks but but across the board that's the case and I think that that decision is a reflection of both what was possible kind of in the food system landscape where there was a real drive and interest in that. Um, there are a lot of growers who are well positioned to do that and then there's a lot of reasons to be pushing on that especially with your fresh foods and, and, mm-hmm, uh, right. and your produce and all that. Um, I think that looking at What the realities and, uh, you know, with my my malt hat on and thinking about um, working in a system of dry land grain production. There's a lot of really interesting and and I think diverse uh, work being done around soil stewardship um, and a lot of new stuff that's coming down the pike that I'm quite enthusiastic about. But also where there's that conversation to me feels maybe not newer, but where there's a lot of room to be pushing and having that dialogue and looking at something like. Just as foundational as being able to reincorporate barley as a rotation into dry land cropping systems, uh, where it's barley slowly kind of been dying as a viable commodity in eastern Washington over the last 20 years or so, that that simple act is a act of stewardship. And that I think that a number of different directions that we can and should be pursuing that because the malt house is offering we're trying to pay growers a pretty premium value for for what they would get compared to a, uh, especially a commodity feed barley, mm-hmm. um, but even a commodity malting barley price. I think that's one of the things that I get super excited about is how we can work with our, our grain growers to be thinking about where are the soil health realities and the Palouse going to go over the next 30 to 50 years? And what are the resources being brought to bear by partners like State Department of Agriculture, Washington State University, our local conservation districts that as there is maybe a little as we're trying to kind of create the breathing room to think about those things more assertively and where there are markets where there's a pretty strong incentive to be pushing on that. I know some of our our most important customer partners are really interested in, you know, tell us about your, your, um, soil stewardship, your growing practices that, that my hope is that we're creating a lot of room to, again, try and have this region be a, a leader for those sorts of conversations.
0: Yep. And again, hopefully just creating another one of those waves where this is just the way we do mm-hmm. things. For sure. Very important. As a producer, why should I link up with link foods?
2: Yeah, that's an awesome question. One of my hats that I wore in my first couple of years uh, working with the food distribution side um, was uh, new grower onboarding and then procurement. And really, I think that's not a super straightforward kind of sales pitch question is like we want to be working with growers where it makes sense for your business model to do business with somebody uh, like Link or to, you know, come on board as part of our business and move uh, your what you're growing to the sorts of customers that we're really well positioned to serve. So I think there's a world of opportunity there. I think that especially if you're a specialty crop producer, um, are raising livestock on a relatively small scale, and are interested in entering into wholesale markets, um, there are all sorts of opportunities and resources and efforts that Link is bringing to bear to make that possible for producers in the region that... Um, are an awful hard road to hoe if you're an individual grower. So, if that's where you see your business model, saying is, I want to scale into, you know, a specific set of crops that I want to be able to provide enough where the carrots on each of those twenty thousand plates going into Spokane public schools. Uh, I want those to be my carrots. Yeah. Where the where the growers co-op for you. Um, I think that if you're a grain grower looking to diversify or step out of commodity markets in a substantial way, looking to process or manufacture with a breadth of customers and the capacity to make a a value-added product out of a commodity. That's probably a conversation worth having. I think one of the places that we talk about all the time is if you're a fledgling uh, veggie producer, you're in your first year or two, and you see a lot of opportunity in terms of how you want to run your business as a uh, focusing on farmers markets, you don't need to jump right into working with Link. It's like it would make a lot of sense to say spend those first few years figuring out what you like to grow, how you like to pursue that. Uh, I think that you know not all farmers love doing this, but that there's value in building a, a brand, so to speak. That's a great great place and format to figure that out and to you know, take those experiences and, and that, and that skill set building over the first few years of operating an enterprise, and then think about how you could dip your toe in a wholesale market by working with somebody like Link. But we're not trying to be everything for everyone. I think that's what lets us be, be good at what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the big thing is, yeah, uh, if you're looking to get into a wholesale market where there's that's still that kind of value-added opportunity, um, that's, what we, that's what we do best.
0: Well, that's great. So you, you don't just give the same speech to every producer. You have all these different opportunities and you're not going to push them in a certain way. I think you just touched on this, but I want to just ask this question. Um, So what practices do you implement to foster that Mm. positive relationship Mm -hmm. with those producers and those farmers?
2: Yeah. So I think the approach that we take, we try to put a lot of energy into getting to as, as quickly as possible, understanding the the goals and the direction and the current like resources or approach of of a grower, both as we're saying, yeah, we think you really should, you know, you know, join Mm -hmm. on with link. But then especially as we're getting used to working with somebody over their first season or two with us. um, But then really every year um, we do have, you know, we have enough of a seasonal reality here where we get to sit down with our growers in the winter and um, what we love to hear is, you know, what what are your goals? What do, you, what do you wish you could grow and sell more of? What are the things where it's like, here's how I would like to change. Here's the way I would like to streamline things. Um, here, are, here are my biggest concerns about what doesn't maybe feel like it's working. To be able to have those conversations at the individual grower level and to take that to our team and to our customers and synthesize How to link and the opportunities that we can afford can can help make that possible. So I think there's a lot of that kind of big picture, mid to long term thinking that is a really key part of the seasonal cycle of what we're doing. And then the name of the game is just constant communication with our growers. And, you know, we're lucky that pretty much everybody that you know that composes the co-op and that where we're moving their product we get to see them especially during high season once or twice a week on our loading dock and Mm -hmm. even if it's you know the five minutes after all their products come off of their truck and come into our warehouse space to be checking in and hearing about that um, it's just a lot of a lot of relationship yeah
0: As harvest season begins to come to a close, make sure you continue to support the small farms in our area by purchasing from local farmer cooperatives and food hubs like Link Foods. There's plenty of nutritious and delicious produce still available, and while COVID restrictions has left many farmers and ranchers without businesses to buy their product, our local co-ops are making it a priority to purchase this food and make it available to consumers. We can't let this food go unused and left to rot in the field. Make a point to get your get to know your farmer and get to know your food better in these last few weeks and stock it for the holidays. Complement your celebrations with healthy, nutritious, and delicious foods that support our local economy. It's just about time for the Spokane Conservation District's best annual tree sale. Pre-sale period will begin February 1st and last until mid-March. Pickup days for your trees and shrubs will be in April. This year we have over 20 different species to choose from. One in particular will be huckleberries. Pricing starts at five seedlings for just $10. Be one of the first notified when the sale opens by signing up for our tree sale mailing list at sccd.org. We will sell out of select species within the first week for sure. Sign up today at sccd.org or email info at sccd.org and request to be on the 2021 tree sale mailing list. So what is um, I'm going to switch gears a little mm-hmm. bit, but so what is the relationship um, the co-op has with the local restaurants here in our area? Yeah.
2: yeah, for sure. So we over the last few years have I think been able to mm, have a pretty diverse like set of uh, kind of like subset of mar- of market segments, including a bunch of different components of the hospitality industry. So your individually owned restaurants, a couple of the kind of larger outfits, we've done a, um, uh, a lot with uh, Northern Quest Casino and they're kind of, the, you know, multi, uh, they've got several like restaurants and programs all kind of under one roof, mm-hmm. we do a lot of work with the um, Davenport Family of Hotels. But restaurants have always been a really kind of core part of that, and comprised a pretty pretty decent chunk of our overarching business. And and I think one of the critical aspects there is that it's at that, um, especially if it's like you know a restaurant that's based here in Spokane, you know maybe the chef owns the restaurant, that sort of thing. It's that's where a lot of the creativity and what's possible working with the agricultural products and turning them into something that somebody's gonna. You know, choose to go there to go out on their you know you know uh, anniversary dinner meal like I'll, there's just so much um, energy that happens in in restaurants that's super unique. So those are relationships that we value a lot for our our own creative juices. It's also those are the sorts of customer relationships where when we feel like we've got a you know a new idea, our grower comes and says, "Hey, I really want to you know lean into doing growing this thing." It's like we've got our, you know, kitchens that will say, hey, here's a box of this. Will you cook with it and let us know what you think? Because we're thinking about growing, you know, a truckload of it. Um, that, that That's a super, super important uh, relationship to have for sure.
0: And like you mentioned earlier, eating through the seasons, too, and allowing those restaurants to be unique and be able to change up their menus. That's that's really cool. So then this little thing called COVID happened. Right. And <laughs> so how did that impact um, the co op.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think to stay with that question of our relationship to our restaurant partners specifically, that's just been one of the toughest spaces, uh, especially for small and independently owned businesses where we're fortunate there's a lot of really creative and certainly hardworking folks uh, in this town who are doing really unique to go programs and all of that. But my heart goes out for not, you know, not just the owners, but the, you know, the cooks and the staff Mm, um, that um, just what a, you know, disorienting time. Um, I think for, for Link, um, we certainly, you know, I, what was it the middle end of March where the first kind of big shutdown and disruption um, went into effect. You know, we do a fair amount of grocery retail. We've got some programs that are direct to consumer, but, you know, bread and butter of our business are large scale hospitality, whether it's, you know, in the educational or healthcare uh, uh, dining services or the casino buffet sort of thing. So <laughs> I think we saw, you know, somewhere between 80 and 90% of our business just basically stop wow. on a dime. So, wow. um, and that was, you know, on the one hand, it was. Still March, So we had a minute to figure out what we were going to do um, coming into the beginnings of peak peak produce season where there's a lot of perishable stuff that's mm-hmm. not going to wait around. Right. Um, but it was like, you know, we were staring down. I was like, we know that we need to figure this out fast because if it takes us six months, uh, the amount of business that we do over the course of um, peak season isn't, isn't something we're going to get take backs on. So um, again, I think one of the um, most uh uh, emotionally challenging parts of um that transition for us has just been knowing how disrupted the folks that we've you know worked in partnership with over the years like how upside down all of that is and then worrying about whether we we're going to be able to figure out how to keep the you know the wheels uh, turning for the co-op and that team of people that the co-op employs directly, and then um, for all of our farmers who have made really big risks um, over the last few years to you know transition towards these direct markets, where there's a in normal times a world of opportunity, but also where it's specialized enough that there's not you know the super obvious kind of backup backup plan. Mm-hmm. So it's been a while to wild few months, but
0: yeah, but you guys, um, got innovative. And so I want to talk about your direct to consumer programs and including your online marketplace. So can you tell us, um, about the link box subscription for consumers and also the online marketplace? For
2: sure. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of to like go back in time or zoom out a little bit, we always have since the early days, Operated a, a direct to consumer subscription program that for folks who've done us, like a single farm CSA community supported agriculture box, where you sign up at the start of the year and you get your weekly mix of veggies or whatever goodies, um, or folks who are, you know, familiar with some of the online kind of subscription like ready made meal programs, um, have always offered something akin to that where folks can get a weekly mix of produce and and other items, dairy, bread, um, animal protein, et cetera, that will come into town on our, tr- on our truck and you can meet us once a week and we've got your box ready for you. And that's our link box program. Um, so we always done that enough to have a sense that it was possible and how to make that sort of thing happen. So we recognized pretty quickly that probably one of the big things that we were going to need to lean on for the duration of Um, All the disruption from COVID was that direct-to-consumer angle. And part because of the timing and just kind of the immediacy of of where we were at, we were geared up to launch the link box season the first week of June. So the question was, well, what are we going to do for the next eight weeks while we're really ready to hit go on that full program as it's structured? And um, we're lucky that we've got, uh, for our wholesale customers in normal times, we've got a online ordering platform that serves as where all of our inventory is held. And you can log on and see everything that's available. You can put your orders through and that that spits out for our team, you know, who's getting what each week. And we basically, you know, got on the phone with all of our growers and said, all right, we're going to make this available to individual consumers. We're going to do a similar model to meet our truck in town once a week. Um, but we need you to not be selling forty pound cases of potatoes. We might need to do that. maybe think about doing two pound bags <laughs> or five pound bags so we can split it up. So basically work very quickly to tailor the product offering format, but all the same stuff that we had been offering to our wholesale customers, but that would be suited for a for an individual household. So we turned that around from saying, Okay, this is we're gonna give this a try to the first delivery in like ten days. Oh um, wow. And It's hard to say. I'm glad that folks, you know, weren't in a wasn't a great time to be thinking about going to the grocery store or anything like that. I wish that stuff had stayed normal, but it worked out to be something where we felt we were able to offer a really critical resource at a time where folks were trying to figure out how to as safely as possible. Access what they needed uh, to to feed their families, and mm-hmm. where folks were thinking about how they could be doing, you know, their part to help take care of their community and the local economy, and mm-hmm. and we, like I said, we knew just enough about how that whole direct-to-consumer thing worked, that we were able to do it some, somewhat seam, seamlessly. I think some of my colleagues would give me a hard time for saying saying that. <laughs> so maybe a bit more of a rodeo than, than something that was seamless. But we've continued to offer that online marketplace ever since, in conjunction with that Linkbox season la- launching in June. So at this point, folks across uh, Spokane have the op- option to sign up for that weekly or every other week installment of a mix of it's usually six to eight different items of produce with add-ons like i said like animal protein bread etc or and it's really and or you we've got folks that do both then go on and shop for um, the more individual items to say, well, it's like, I know I'm gonna get uh, you know, a couple pounds of apples, but my family flies through apples, so I'm also gonna go on the online marketplace and get another two pounds or four pounds, or to say, alongside my box of produce, I wanna order a gallon of milk. Um, mm, so nice. so those are both programs that are active. Um, the, all the information around sign-ups and, and getting to see what's offered is all available through our website, which is linkfoods.com. Um, and we're just getting ready to launch uh, here after Thanksgiving our winter link box season, which the frequency of the bo- boxes is, it's not a weekly thing. Um, and the box contents, you get more of those kind of storage items where you're going to get a, like a bag of carrots that'll last you for, you know, for two to four weeks. And that will keep during that time because it's less of this hyper perishable stuff. So getting ready to kick that off and the marketplace will continue. And I think at this point, regardless of where the broader reality is, we'll be able to be offering link box year round now, where we used to just run that kind of during peak peak season. So we're super, super excited about that.
0: Oh, that's great.
2: What's like the cost of entry for
1: like a basic link box?
2: The base share is $27. And that's something that you can sign up for on a weekly basis um, or in every other week that's going to get you a pretty significant volume of, of, fresh fruits and vegetables. I think that, um, uh, the, this is anecdotal, but I think it's pretty accurate. The like number one cancellation, uh, reason that we get when we do is it's more, it's too much stuff. I can't, can't oh. get through all of it. <laughs> so, um, so we feel pretty, pretty good about the, the value that we're able to, um, to provide. And again, just like with our wholesale customers, all that stuff is coming from a specific farm. There's the, uh, you know, the weekly contents are available on the website. So you can see exactly who grew those carrots or grew those pears. Um, uh, but yeah, so you can do during the, the normal season and yeah, every week or every other week. Um, there's also a full size share. That's basically you get double of everything. Um, and then there's the, all the add-on options as well. So you can get, Mushrooms. You can get salmon. You can get beef. Um, you can get uh, bread from the Grain Shed Bakery. Um, so yeah, the the, we've, the customers that that really really do it right, the box is pretty well bursting at the the seams <laughs> by the time it's all packed. Nice. Yep.
0: So big question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so why should I as a consumer buy from Link? Yeah, yeah,
2: foods? yeah, for sure. Well, I think that there's. In choosing to sign up for a link box, the opportunity to support not just your local farmer but your local agricultural economy. Where um, over the course of a link box season, there are literally dozens of different farms that you're going to be able to um, invest your food dollar in, mm-hmm. and um, what you're going to get in exchange for that is I, hands down the best quality um, food uh, and, like, especially the produce, but then also, I mean, shoot, the. Um, The quality of the animal protein, the quality of that bread from the grain shed, Mm -hmm. the free range eggs. um, You're just you're just not going to find better, better product. And to be able to get it in that format where it's like, all right, here are my groceries for the week. That that opportunity to be able to have it be that kind of just convenient and locked in is something that. I know it makes it easier for me to do my grocery shopping (laughs) during busy week. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think those are kind of the two big things and that you know, right now it's just two values of being able to support your local economy, local farms. And to be able to feed yourself and your family well, and to, to enjoy what you're eating, like I know that's what's mo- motivational to me. So being able to just share that and to offer that something directly um, is is really neat for us to be getting to do as a as a co-op
1: right now. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I, the better question is why wouldn't anybody do this? And I'm question, <laughs> I'm asking myself why I have never done this. I this sounds it sounds. Like a no-brainer. Yeah. Well, we've, uh, we've just uh, in the last couple of weeks launched the winter box
2: signups, um, but then also um, here in the next couple of weeks, kind of going into Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. we've got our. Uh, I think first ever uh, eat local first holiday campaign oh, so like um, we're really gonna be it's we see you know going to the holidays people are looking for um, those special you know special things and uh, yes. and uh, I think now more than ever being able to have some really good comfort food is certainly on my mind um, so we really want to be able to celebrate um, the local bounty and, and focus on that as a way to introduce people to what links growers are are uh, offering and you um, My wonderful colleague Michelle, who spearheads all the direct-to-consumer stuff, wanted to make sure that you knew (laughs) that we will have pasture-raised turkey. We're gonna have uh, locally grown sweet potatoes, which is not an easy thing to find up in Okanagan County. Eight different varieties of mashing potatoes. And I think there's going to be some social media around like the great mashing potato
0: like, <laughs> I a, love it. A
2: comparison to figure out what's the greatest uh, mashed potato <laughs> well, <laughs> as well as pie pumpkins and all mm. sorts of uh, all sorts of goodies. So um, so excited, excited to help our community celebrate in a crazy time by bringing the best of the best from our our growers.
0: Yes, absolutely. That's exactly why we wanted to do this Um this month's episode of this foodie because what better way to celebrate the holidays than with locally sourced nutritious delicious food from our backyards literally for sure and then also just making sure that all that food gets on the tables of the consumers and then it that it's supporting the farmers so for sure awesome awesome I also want to ask you, what is, and I know that we talked about Gonzaga a little bit earlier in the episode, but what is the relationship with the co-op and our local schools?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So if I'd really done my homework, um, I would have looked to see what the big pallet of produce was that was going to West Valley School District today. Oh, but awesome. as I was scrambling across the loading dock doing... Going to do something really important. I'm sure we've got outbound trucks uh, on Tuesday mornings, and, and there was a big pallet of—I think it was a couple different types of fruit that we're going out uh, to, to again to West Valley School District. But but we're lucky that um, the school districts across Spokane County, big and small, there was a real big push, probably you know in the last five to seven years, to implement farm to school programs and. Mm-hmm the state, both at the like public OSPI, the public schools entity, but then also with a ton of support from the State Department of Agriculture, encouraging Taste Washington Day and Taste Washington Month that happens at the outset of the school year, but then also to provide technical support to to school districts looking to kind of get back into scratch cooking or like minimally processed cooking, looking to forge those sorts of direct uh, relationships as a way to get really nutritious food uh, in meal programs, but also to do education around uh, whether this is the realities of agriculture, the science behind eating well or how plants grow. Um, that um that that's something where um some of our longest standing relationships are with um uh, many of the school districts here in town and obviously that's something that's can be really meaningful for our growers getting mm-hmm. to Absolutely. not only be selling food to somebody but knowing knowing where it's where it's going and and the intent that's being placed there but if we're saying, oh yeah, we've you know we've got an item on a menu a month at one of those school districts, that can be um, especially for some of our smaller growers. If we get them slotted in to provide the radishes in the spring, like that's a lot of radishes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> take I'm a while, take a while to move that many, many radishes if we were selling them somewhere besides a, a you know a full school district's meal program. So, you know, one of the places where the impetus for the co-op to form and growers to say like, yeah, we want to do this collaboratively with seeing that that was the sort of opportunity that wasn't going to happen easily um, without that sort of coordination.
0: Awesome. Well, obviously lots and lots of good things going on with link foods. I want to know what is your proudest moment or something you're most proud of working at link.
2: That's a great question because it's something that I haven't talked about at all. Um, and, and is an, an actual answer to the question. <laughs> um, so the effort that our team and our growers have put into all of the direct-to-consumer work between the online marketplace and LinkBox um, and the really pretty remarkable community response and interest that we've seen where those numbers have grown has, has been huge for us. Um, but it's still, um, it still was uh, has only been enough to cover a substantial but but portion of what we would normally um, move um over the course of a year for our producers and so um again thinking back to earlier this spring going into the summer there was still like a pretty big hole even when with our we said like we've got a goal to grow this component of what we do in a big way but what are we going to do with all this other stuff and um one of the core aspects of um the kind of agricultural focus of the CARES Act that was passed at the federal level in Congress um, was a program called the Farmer's Families Food Box, um, which I expect you probably talked with Lisette about a fair amount. Um, Mm -hmm. The Farmer's Market Association. um, And when that came out, the request from USDA was, we know there's all this product that could go unsold and consequently, you know, rot in the fields, uh, that sort of thing. And we know that with the number of folks who are suddenly out of work, that the demands on emergency food uh, s- uh, system partners, food banks, et cetera, is gonna increase. And at the same time, folks aren't going to those sorts of nonprofits to volunteer their time where they're usually you know, quite reliant on repackaging right, food yeah. um, that's coming in by the semi-truckload to say, mm-hmm. how are we gonna respond to this need? And the recognition by Congress and by USDA was that maybe two problems could help kind of solve one another. So, so the ask was for food um, enterprises to put in bids um, to be preparing pre-prepared boxes and then work with nonprofits in their communities to get those out where they needed to go. So, we uh, put in a bid, and you know, to be totally transparent, we were worried that we were too small and not adequately positioned for something that that big as um, what it felt like, because it was like billions of dollars that they'd allocated. Um, but we did it anyways and 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 what we basically said is we we know the link box program and we know what it means to put together a great mix of product that'd be appealing for a family and fit you know fit fit your needs for a week or two of produce we know how to put that together efficiently why don't we just do something equivalent to that so that was the bid we put together and we were awarded a contract and got to work with fantastic partners at Northwest Harvest, which is one of the big food banks that's based here in Spokane, as well as Catholic Charities, and then um, the Council on Aging, which serves as kind of the food bank distributor for all of Whitman County to be sending them boxes weekly. And that was a wild change for us because all of a sudden we were doing all of this repackaging in our warehouse where normally we would receive stuff in wholesale format and it goes right back out the door. So our team had to think through all of the logistical particulars of how to do that in a way that we could provide stuff that was high quality and on time and that worked um, economically for us. And to be able to do that um, over the course of from basically from mid-May through mid-September and then transition as that program has we're, we're no longer part of that program but working with partners at the county and the state level to continue offering boxes across eastern Washington to do something where we're helping keep the co-op intact um, we're making sure that stuff that growers already had in the ground or you know whether it was seeds or you know fruit trees uh, uh, when when um, you know things came to a halt in, in March uh, but then especially to be, um, helping take care of our neighbors and our community members um, as difficult as all of this has been that's been just deeply rewarding and it's something that I've been in you know working in local food system stuff for for long enough now and one of the things that often gets talked about is the resiliency of local food and and being connected to your farm And as much as I believe all of that, it's one of those things that it's like always felt like a bit of like, oh, is that just a talking point? You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, what about the efficiency of scale and globalizing everything and and all of that? (laughs) And um, it has been very interesting to see how effective we were able to be in that role, where even some of the other contractors that were selected elsewhere in the country, I think, um, who are larger in size and You know, on paper maybe had more resources, have struggled to be as successful. Um, But then other aspects of the food system that have, um, in one way or the other, kind of ground to a halt. Um, To to have that means tested, um, I hope that there are lots of lessons that we can learn from that, and how we can um, even when we come out on the side of this, there are going to be other challenges that we all face in the future, and that. Um, if we can take those lessons of resiliency.
0: Yeah, I think that it really is um, finding these beautiful outcomes that come out of really ugly situations. And when we got to sit down and talk with Lisette, it was just incredible, the amount of work and the amount of collaboration and the relationships that were built during this time. And do you know how many boxes um approximately you guys were able to Yeah,
2: let me think if I can do that. I should know that off the top of my head, but um
0: <laughs> put you on the spot, sorry. Yeah,
2: well we were doing between 300 and 800 a week. Oh wow. Um which really for the way our physical footprint is structured was kind of the optimum weekly pace. Um felt good to get that right. We were worried whether we were not trying to do enough, or that we were going to try and do it, and you know the roof was going to blow off the building because there just wasn't <laughs> enough room. Um, and now with the new work we're doing, some of it directly in partnership with the Farmers Market Association, we're contributing roughly half of the product that are going into their boxes, and they're doing a thousand boxes a week. And then we've got another. 400 or so as well as then some other product that is going more in kind of bulk farm format to some of our nonprofit partners a week Mm -hmm. that'll run through the end of December so so it's been yeah really neat to keep that keep that going I would say one of the you know really satisfying pieces of that that I think comes from being community connected and again this is maybe contrast to some of the larger partners who you might think are like oh these are the folks that should be responding to this sort of um program and, and this sort of need, but where it's like, it's not super clear that everything was super like planned out and it's been a little chaotic. And I especially feel for the nonprofits trying to navigate, are we getting these boxes or are we getting more boxes than we need? Is that mm-hmm. being locally based, we can get on the phone with the food bank director and say, well, would you like 80 a week or 100 a week or 120 a week? And they can say, if you give me 120, it's going to be too much. If I have 80, I know I'm going to have a few folks that come through that we might run out. 100 is just the right number. Let's do that. And that we can build our proposal and seek the funding that's tailored to what's understood about the need rather than just kind of pulling it out of our hat. Um, so that sort of um, being being connected and on the ground in the community in that way, is it's just been good to see the... The value of of that.
0: Well, great work. I mean, we applaud you and everything that you guys are doing. And I know that we've just talked about a ton of wonderful things, but to just kind of sum it up. So why is Link so important for the future of our local food economy?
2: Well, I mean, I think that we're trying to be a useful part of a conversation around how to not only keep our community connected to the landscape and to who farms and how we're farming, and we're trying to deepen that connection. And I think that some of that is just seizing the opportunity that's already there. I think some of it is trying to get better at all of that, whether it's how we feed ourselves, how we farm, who gets to be involved in farming. I say we're part of that. I think one of the critical pieces of how we approach it is as a cooperative and where we want our farmers to not just be where the food comes from, but to be partners at the table and working together and deciding what that needs to look like and that we're engaging our customers and our end consumers along the way. And that Mm -hmm. knowing that um, the long-term viability of food and agriculture and folks feeding themselves well in the community is going to take that sort of conversation. I think that our choosing to approach it that way will help other conversations happen in a similar fashion so it doesn't just have to all be about you know what is link doing but that we're um we're learning about how to care for our food system and one another by doing it in that sort of really direct way
0: i love it and so how can consumers producers anybody and everybody get in touch with link and purchase produce yeah
2: yeah so um the super tangible opportunity for somebody who's thinking about where their groceries are going to come from mm-hmm. uh, this week is to go to linkfoods.com, Google Link Foods Spokane, and check out Link Box, our online marketplace. Um, you can have your first round of groceries ordered in pretty short order, but also um, You know, I think that our small local restaurants of who we work with, dozens and dozens of folks like that are trying to keep their lights on, you know, order takeout, get your uh, dinner delivered home. Ask for product from Link or just from local farms, whatever grocery store you go to. Mm -hmm. Similarly, so, you know, go get to go beer from your favorite local brewer. Ask if they've got beers that are made with Link Malt. Those are all folks that need a lot of support right now as well and that are thinking on their feet and thinking very creatively to be able to offer product in cans and and, and all that sort of thing where they didn't have to 10 months ago. And I think that whenever the time is (laughs) is right, um, we're in the community and we want, you know, getting the opportunity to interact with folks, whether it's they're picking up their link box or because we're, you know, visiting our growers at a farmer's market. Um, We're all right here in, in Spokane. So.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll make sure. And um, all of your websites and social media and everything on our Rocks to Roots podcast, Facebook page and Instagram page as well. Thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation and I learned a ton and I can't wait for the holidays to get those fresh sweet potatoes and mashed potatoes and turkey and...
2: Eat Local First holiday campaign. That's uh, for... Those of you who are like uh, the serious Instagrammers, we've got a solid social media presence. The sweet potatoes will be featured, I'm sure. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Just uh, just at at Link Foods on Instagram, and you can uh, see all of the hottest new veggies coming on market. So.
0: Cool. Well, Brian, um so I like to do um what we what I call the Spitfire round at the end All of right. our interviews just so our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. Are you down?
2: I'm I am so down. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So burning question dogs or cats?
2: Oh both, but dogs. Um I uh I have a wonderful dog named Dean who's like an old man trapped in a dog's oh. body. He's got big bushy blonde eyebrows and is kind of he's not a grump, but he's an old soul. So but he uh he keeps our cat biscuit in line. Um so oh, I I'm love honey Biscuit. Yeah. She's a sweetheart <laughs> <So> too. <cute. laughs>
0: um what's a food that you cannot live without?
2: Oh man so much so many foods
0: <laughs> you know this has to be a tricky question for you, uh, <laughs> you see I so was, many
2: <laughs> i i ran out of time but my plan before coming over here was i was going to stop and get a burger, Roy, uh, burger royale burger stromboli
0: oh my <laughs> gosh i've never had one of those it's, and i drive by it every day <laughs> yeah
2: it's um yeah it's not you'd have a hard time making a stromboli from anything that came in your link box but um if you're looking for a hot greasy sandwich on a on a <laughs> on a semi cold dreary uh, <laughs> November day it's it's pretty awesome
0: i have heard that they're just amazing it's really good. so um let's see netflix or youtube
2: ah uh, netflix yeah i uh YouTube's just too much of a mindless rabbit hole and
0: Yeah, uh, I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can get lost. I, just, in there. I
1: was just listening to a podcast called Rabbit Hole and it's all uh, about yeah. the rabbit hole mm-hmm. of YouTube and how it yeah.
0: Well there you go. If you could have any superpower, what would it be and why?
1: Oh. I'd be down with time travel.
0: Oh mm-hmm. yeah. We haven't heard that one yet.
1: I not I didn't have never even really considered that being a superpower. But no, if I it if it is, I, I I think I might change mine from flying to To time travel. There you go. I
0: know. You just think of the, like, typical ones, like flying, invisibility, yada, yada. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live Mm -hmm. and
2: why? Man, I'm pretty Eastern Washington partisan, so that's um, anywhere besides here? (laughs) Does it have to be besides here?
0: No, it could be here if you want.
2: Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, as long as it's like, I mean, I I like to, you know, get out and stretch my legs in the inland northwest, but... My wife and I had planned to travel to Greece for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. here um, before the Thanksgiving holiday. And she's been, I haven't, um, we've been talking about going basically since we met. So so that's, yeah, a tangential answer to that. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll say Greece, I think.
0: Nice. That's on my bucket list, too. It's Greece mm-hmm. for sure. Beatles or Rolling Stones? Beatles, yeah
2: mm-hmm. yeah i've been uh i've been listening to uh the album let it be quite a bit since covid times hit it's been it's
0: a been good album a to go-to. listen to during this time i think
1: you're one of the first to say beatles i know really? so. i like mean yeah
0: two points beatles yeah like. yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: i really like the stones too don't get me wrong you're right, yeah yeah I mean. Mean.
0: all right and then last question what is something you have tried that you will never ever try again it can be a food. It can be an experience.
2: That's hard. I'll never try again. You might have stumped me. I'm pretty. That's uh, well, the personality spectrum. It's like being open openness to experience. There's some. I'm very far on that side of the spectrum. So.
0: Have you ever skydived?
2: I haven't. No. I would. Yeah, I would. I'm not. I'm not a big fan of heights. I think that having, you know, if you're not standing on the edge of something and you're just looking down, however many thousands of feet. I don't... <laughs> it's not high on my list of things to do, but but I wouldn't not do it. Yeah.
0: OK, well, I feel like we can't end on that one. So yeah. what's your favorite movie? I uh, bad. Next, so next. Next one. <laughs> next. <laughs> OK. Um, what's your favorite day of the week?
2: Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> I'm going to say Wednesday or Friday oh um wednesdays tend from like a work perspective tend to feel like i get a pretty good pretty good flow on wednesdays and Fridays. just the end of end of the week and i work in the malting barley industry so usually i can go have a beer at three o'clock and still be on the on the clock and
0: (laughs) heck yeah it's just
2: fine yeah yeah
0: (laughs) where's your favorite place to grab a beer
2: Oh, Lately. See that's another. I can't, can no. I, um, <laughs> where Can I? Where can I? Where can I be on the map and have there be a place that I can? I can answer that.
1: Anywhere um, Link Malt is. Yeah. being used. Be
2: honest. honestly, <laughs> honestly, right right now especially, it's actually in in the malt house at the end of the week. Oh, um, there you go. We've got a great small small but mighty team uh, on the malt side, and um, usually by the end of the day on Friday we can raid the the link malt beer fridge in the office and have a have a have a brew so nice.
0: love it thank you so much for being here brian we had a great time chatting with you today and again we will link all of um, the resources to link foods and link malt on our social media pages and our website rockstoroots.org thanks for listening everybody rocks to roots is sponsored by the office of farmland preservation Office of Farmland Preservation is a program within the Washington State Conservation Commission that works to address the rapid loss of working farm and forest lands in our state. Together, the Washington State Conservation Commission and conservation districts provide voluntary incentive-based programs that empower private landowners to implement conservation on their property. You can learn more about their programs and services by visiting their website, scc.wa.gov. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rocks to Roots. Please make sure to subscribe to our Rocks to Roots channel. And also, more importantly, please leave us a review. That's the only way we can get better.